The weekly packet, Island Advantages, the Casting Patriot, the annual Bay Community Register, the Summer Seasonal Guide, and more. Also on the web at www.penobscotbaypress.com. And the time is one and a half minutes past the hour of 10 o'clock. This is Community Radio, WERU. Stay tuned for Healthy Options. We are on the road today because of the weather. We are coming live to you from Rockland. Stay tuned for Healthy Options. Well, good morning. This is Healthy Options, and now we go live to Cindy Swan. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Joel, and happy 2009, and welcome to Healthy Options in this uh, cold, wintry uh, January day. My guest today is Margaret Peake, and we'll be talking about Ayurvedic medicine. Let me give you a little background about Margaret Peake. She's a naturopath with a specialty in Ayurvedic medicine. For five years, Margaret was a full-time student of Dr. Vasant Ladd at the Ayurvedic Institute in Albuquerque, New Mexico. She's also studied extensively in the area of Tai Chi Chuan and holds certificates in Chinese herbal medicine and shiatsu. In more recent years, she's been involved in the emerging field of functional medicine with certifications from the Institute for Functional Medicine in Gig Harbor, Washington. Ayurveda and functional medicine look beyond symptoms to identify the underlying cause of disease and heal the whole person, body, mind, consciousness. Margaret sees clients in her offices in Lincolnville and Camden, Maine, and she also works with clients on telephone. And let me give listeners contact information in case they would like to connect with Margaret after the show. And her cell number is 707-954-5217. And her, her, um, her email is mspeet, spelled P-E-E-T, at AOL.com. And I'll give that information later. Welcome, Margaret. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you for having me. Great to have you here. Let, let's cut right to um, the chase here. And what is Ayurvedic medicine? And what does that term, Ayurveda, mean? Well, Ayurvedic medicine is the oldest extant healing system on the planet. It dates back more than 5,000 years in ancient East India. And it's from the roots of Ayurveda, of Chinese medicine, Japanese medicine, and Tibetan medicine have come. And the word Ayurveda itself is a combination of two Sanskrit words, Ayur, meaning life, and Veda, meaning knowledge. So this could be loosely translated, uh, the knowledge of life or the science of life or life knowledge. And what, what are the interrelated ideas from Ayurvedic medicine? Um, you, you, you talk about, I also want to say to listeners, I'm currently, in, in, um, in terms of disclosure, I'm currently taking a class with Margaret Pete, and that's how we met. And um, in the class, you had talked about these concepts of qualities um, in terms of Ayurvedic medicine. And I'd like listeners to know what you mean by the concept of qualities and how that relates 
to Ayurveda? Well, we live in a dualistic universe, and uh, we have this, this concept of qualities uh, dates back thousands of years. And <clears throat> these are opposites like hot, cold, um, uh, and so forth. And too much or too little of any quality affects all levels of our being. So uh, the concept of qualities is really quite uh, basic to understanding Ayurvedic medicine because you go to either extreme and you've got a dysfunctional condition. If you're too hot, you are not okay. If you're too cold, you're not okay. And the same would be true of all of the other um, uh, 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 opposites, light, heavy, sharp, dull, solid, liquid, and so forth. So Ayurveda talks about health as balance. And what we are trying to achieve to maintain health is a balance between uh, these opposites. And balance is health. So that is one of the basic concepts of Ayurveda and one that needs to be understood before... uh, other concepts of Ayurveda can be comprehended also. So balance is really um, also dynamic, right? Because we're changing. The, the body is, um, you know, changing daily. Or, and, and some would even say, you know, hourly, right? On, on When you look at a cellular level, but also just even your moods, because Ayurveda encompasses all of that, correct? Your, um, your, your emotional status as well as your physical I would say we change even moment to moment this balance, and we have to be cognizant of uh, of what is happening with us all the time. Uh, in a book I wrote, I talk about riding the bike of life, and you, we all know that being on a bicycle requires us to stay in balance or we fall off. And I think the same thing is true in terms of staying in balance between these uh, qualities of opposites, and to stay in balance means to stay in health. We have to constantly shift. If we get too cold, we have to do something to bring us back toward the warmer side, and the opposite, too. If we're too hot, we have to do something to cool us off, etc. Yeah, and of course, like heat. If too much heat in the body would be like an inflammatory that condition. That is right, yeah. So you need to have the cooling to, to, to diminish, the put out the fire, kind that's of. To put out the fire, right. Yeah. So, so when you, you also, um, in Ayurveda, talk about matter and energy. Can you define um, matter and energy from an Ayurvedic perspective? Well, um, matter and energy are constantly going back and forth. Matter becomes energy. Energy becomes matter. Take, for example, we, we eat our food, and in the process of digestion, um, the, the energy involved in digestion will help us to maintain balance and will create matter, and vice versa. This is a constant process that um, is going on all of the time, and um, there is nothing static about this. So again, it's that idea, like you talk about riding the bicycle riding in terms of the, the balance. Life, You're in yes. movement because we're we're not, uh, you know, we're dynamic beings. We are dynamic beings, and we have to keep this 
constantly uh, in touch with this idea to, to maintain this balance. And, uh, you know, we're more than the physical body, too. We, we have to take the concept of the whole being into, into consideration when we're talking about this. Ayurveda also uh, talks about, you know, one's constitution. Um, what's meant by that word, one's constitution in Ayurvedic medicine? And why, why is that even significant? Well, you know, um, way back 5,000 years ago and earlier, there were no labs. There were, you know, people, the, the early Ayurvedic physicians observed the body and um, saw differences in each person. They uh, used the ancient art of pulse reading which in Ayurvedic medicine is very, very complex. And by reading the pulse on seven levels under three fingers on each arm, they were able to establish what the person's basic constitutional type was at the time of birth. This is read at the seventh level of the pulse. Now... They were able then to go to the first level and to tell what the imbalances are. This is a complex process, but one that is still being done today. Now, in our modern scientific way of referring to this, we would say that the basic constitution is what we call today each person's genetic code. It is the modern scientific way of referring to this. Ah, okay. And um, the pulse diagnosis, I mean, I know in traditional Chinese medicine, that's also an element of um, that diagnosis. And, um, and, and, and from an Ayurvedic perspective, I mean, Chinese medicine, Ayurveda is even more ancient than that is Chinese right. medicine. That is correct. I would say, too, you know, the Chinese medicine of reading the pulse is very fine, and I've studied some of that. The art of the Ayurvedic pulse-taking is amazingly more complex, and it really takes a lifetime to come to a full understanding of this. But it is amazing. Someone really skilled in pulse diagnosis can um, really tell you everything about yourself by reading the seven levels of the pulse under three fingers. Wow, pretty extensive. So, and, but what about Margaret? That changes, though. Wouldn't does, I mean? Does, if there's an imbalance, will you find a change in the pulse? You would never find a change at oh. the seventh level because that's what you were born with. Oh, okay. If you get out of balance, the first level of the pulse will show where you're out of balance, and right. will show you what you have to do to bring yourself back into balance to ride the bike of life to help. Okay, so it's all these different layers I see, and then that one layer is always constant in terms of your genetic the code. The seventh level is equal to our genetic code. It never changes. How it manifests changes, and when we get out of balance, it's different. But the basic genetic code, basic constitution, which is called prakruti, in uh, Ayurveda, never changes. It's what we were born with. So your prakruti 
is comparable to your genetic code. That is correct. And how, how is Ayurveda different, though, from Western medicine and thought? Okay. Western medicine, the way it is practiced, allopathic medicine, is physical medicine. Um, you go to a doctor. They want to know what your symptoms are. And they're interested in what's happening in your body at the moment. And um, it is, uh, really does not look much beyond the physical. There is a little more openness to looking at the mental-emotional levels at this point. But basically, allopathic medicine is a physical medicine. In contrary uh, terms, Ayurveda looks at the whole person. Ayurveda considers the person as a combination of the physical, the mental, emotional, and spirit consciousness. And they are intermingled and flow from one to the other constantly, and you cannot separate them. All, all of these levels of being are a part of the whole. And Ayurveda looks at every level of being, every part of being as who the person is. And dysfunction, imbalances, can occur on any of these levels of being. I, I feel that probably uh, any dysfunction begins on the mental, emotional, or spirit consciousness level before it manifests on the physical. So this, this is really a difference in the allopathic approach and the Ayurvedic approach. And, I, you know, I remember you saying in the class at 1.2 that from an Ayurvedic perspective in terms of the difference, you said Ayurveda can pick up some sort of an imbalance. There's like these stages again, and it can pick it up in that early stage. That's right. And, and what, can you, can you um, expand on that for sure. listeners? Sure. Um, there is an Ayurvedic concept of the disease process, and it, it is six stages. And allopathic medicine does not recognize uh, that there is anything wrong with you until you get to stage four. That's when their clinical examination through their lab work will identify a um, disease, and that they can actually put a name on it. However, Ayurveda says you are not well one day and sick the next. They look at, Ayurveda looks at the first three stages of the disease process where it's not so far along, but what we can look at where the imbalances are and uh, identify what's wrong. And it's within our power in these early stages to actually turn the process around. And um, it's really important to recognize what's going on in these stages and not let yourself get to stage four, where it is more difficult and sometimes impossible to turn the process around. So it, this, this is a very different concept in the way of looking at, uh, at health. Now, when we look at um, Ayurveda, oh, all right, so that's how it's different. But how, how are there, would you say there's similarities? How is Ayurveda, Ayurvedic medicine, similar to allopathic? 
Well, I think both Ayurveda and allopathic medicine are looking for the well-being of the person that they're treating, of course. And I, I think that, um, it, it's, uh, you know, in that sense, I, I think that uh, it's important to realize that the well-being of the person is primary. And, you know, one thing I would like to say in terms of allopathic medicine and in terms of the way that uh, um, medicine is um, looked at these days, um, I don't think that any of us who are looking at allopathic medicine uh, want to see it disappear. It's not an either-or concept. It's a both-and concept. Uh, take, for example, looking at modern medicine and how wonderful it is in a treating trauma situation. Yes. Uh, my son is uh, an ER physician, and I have great admiration for what he does. Uh, gunshot wounds, broken bones, et cetera, et cetera. You don't want to go to an Ayurvedic physician for this. Right. Um, modern medicine has wonderful things to offer. Um, I, I would say in terms of trauma medicine, um, disease processes that uh, need immediate attention, acute things, this is where allopathy shines, and we want to keep this. And I'm not saying never use drugs either. I, I think drugs are important to use. when Pharmaceuticals. Pharmaceutical drugs <laughs> are, are important to have uh, when, when we're in an acute situation and it needs to be um, approached in that way. So it's not an either-or, it's a both-and. Another thing I'd say about um, uh, modern medicine uh, as compared to Ayurveda is I think that modern allopathic medicine um, does not do as well with chronic conditions. It does very well with trauma conditions, acute conditions, but less well with um, um, chronic conditions, and there's so much in the, in the area of chronic dysfunction in our modern society. And Ayurveda and where medicine is going at this point uh, in the 21st century is much more equipped to deal with these chronic situations, which don't have a single cause. They are very complex to identify complex to treat, and uh, it just takes a different approach. The acute approach does not work with things like diabetes, cancer, heart disease, and um, we, we need to look at this in a different way. Thanks. Uh, that's a good point. You, you talk uh, in your book, um, I think this is a good time to bring up your book, My Doctor Says I'm Fine. So why do I feel so bad? And you might wonder, where did that name come from? Well, yeah. I, would, I would challenge anyone and ask them, have you ever gone to an allopathic doctor not feeling really too well and you think something is wrong, but after all of their clinical testing, you're told you're in perfect health, you're fine, there's nothing wrong with you, maybe it's just in your head. So this, let's go back to the Ayurvedic concept of the disease process, the six-stage model. Uh, this title comes from 
of the first three stages where we know we're out of balance, we know there's something wrong, but we have not yet reached stage four where the allopathic approach will say, you have such and such a disease process. So we're referring to the early stages when you can actually take control yourself. So this is like when someone says, um, gee, I'm feeling a little punkish or I'm feeling sluggish or I don't have my energy. And you go to the physician and, and, and sometimes, you know, some, some of the things that one can, can be told is things like, well, you're not getting any younger. You know, you're a little older. You should expect to feel, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a slowdown. You should, you're not going to feel like you did when you were 20 or 30. You know, that, from an Ayurvedic perspective, does that wash or no? Um, I don't think so because, you know, I uh, think that if we pay attention to our lifestyle, our diet, um, and, you know, the stress in our lives, that we have much more control over how we are aging and uh, our own uh, manifestations of energy and so forth than we realize we have. And just saying, oh, you're getting older or, you know, whatever excuse, um, is to dismiss the power of things that we have under control. One thing that I would like to also speak to at this point is the power of nutrition. Mm. And um, I that at this point with uh, the blatant obesity in our culture and um, the rise of the chronic disease model and so forth, I think we've lost our touch with the power of nutrition and prevention and the power of nutrition uh, in terms of our overall health. And certainly, Ayurveda does speak to this and is trying to pull us back to the fact that uh, what we put into our bodies uh, is uh, very important in terms of our balance and how uh, actually how our genetic profile begins to manifest itself. Um, there is no reason for us to have this uh, um, epidemic of obesity. Diet, lifestyle, the, the importance of really taking care of ourselves uh, has somehow been lost. I mean, even the obesity and the very young, I mean, this, this is uh, not okay and something that really needs to be addressed. Well, in other cultures, I'm going to piggyback on that, what you just said. In other cultures, um, the ter- the, sometimes it's, it's um, toted that, that um, food is medicine. Absolutely. And so that's, in some ways, I think in our, in our culture, in our Western culture, with our packaged foods, our convenience foods, our lifestyles. I mean, uh, you know, I, I remember when I was going to, to school, uh, uh, graduate school, I, I was eating my meals in the car. I mean, that's not really, that's not a healthy uh, way to live, but it's, uh, that, that goes, you know, part and parcel with some of this. Part and parcel with our, our, the way we are living our lives and the stress of our lives. And I, I think that we are living in a highly stressed culture. And I think that stress um, can do much to get us out of balance. It can make us sick. Uh, it can bring on any disease process. 
And, uh, you know, we, we are just, uh, it, it, this is a stressed culture we live in. And uh, somehow we have to bring that to the fore also and learn how to deal with it. Now, Margaret, can food, the change in food, help one better deal, food as medicine, that concept, help us better deal with our stresses? Is that one pathway? That I mean, is, obviously there's others. That, of course. I, I think that the whole person needs to be looked at. And I'm talking about the physical, the mental, emotional, and the spirit consciousness levels. You know, um, Think of um, how to identify what is really going on with a person. Um, when I sit with someone, I say to the person, tell me about yourself. And I want to know who that person is. I want to look beyond the obvious. Yeah, I'll write down their symptoms. But, uh, you know, I like to think of... Um, What's going on with a person? If you picture an iceberg and only a small part of the iceberg is visible, the main part of that iceberg is hidden. It's under the water. In order to really be able to bring into consciousness what is really going on with that person, you've got to bring up the contents of that iceberg and look at it as a whole way that this person is living their lives. What is influencing that person that, you know, can be identified? And it may be something that they aren't even aware of. So that's the reason when I sit down with someone, I say, tell me about yourself. What's going on? Tell me about your childhood. Tell me about your work. Tell me what your interests are. Oh, tell me about your relationship. So in Ayurveda, it's it's not just the physical symptoms, but it's the whole it's the whole ball the of wax in a way. Being right, it's it's everything. And um, I want to jump back to nutrition for a moment. Sure. For for listeners, what from that from your perspective, what are the most what would be the essentials in good nutrition? All right. Uh, I also ask a person what they eat. And, you know, I, I get a general idea of their food consumption. The worst food you can put in your body is white refined sugar. And I try to help people to understand that it is the, the substance that will most quickly cut your immunity. And we are a sugar-consuming culture. And um, that is one thing that needs to be totally brought into consciousness and if a person is ready to adapt a, adopt a better lifestyle uh, and a better approach to nutrition, the sugar has to go. Okay. So that's the single most important thing. But then I also look at what else is going on with the person. Many people have allergies to common things. I find one in my practice that is most common is an allergy to gluten the gluten grains, wheat, rye, barley, oats, spelt. And if I see evidence of that, I really try to get uh, some cognizance of that around in their food choices. So the, so the big, now I want to jump back to sugar. Um, all sugar? I mean, what about honey? 
Maple syrup, blackstrap molasses, are we talking all sugar or no, are we talking we're white refined? We're talking basically white refined sugar. And then when you look at these other sugar substances, they are all, they have, uh, you know, white refined sugar has been stripped of everything. Uh, but uh, these other, like honey, uh, blackstrap molasses, and even maple syrup, they have uh, nutrients in them. And, you know, these can be used in small quantities. You don't want to overload on any kind of sweet. Uh, everything in balance. Here we go back to balance. And uh, Ayurveda talks about balance in your selection of foods and proper food selections for what your basic constitutional type is. But, yes, you know, white refined sugar has to go. But in using other sweets in moderation are certainly okay. And... Um, also, in that regard, um, the whole fruit, the whole, like, in terms of fruit, yes, fruit would be okay, but even that in moderation? I would say, first of all, the whole fruit. Fruit juices, like orange juice, which people consume in such large quantities. Right. This is a concentrated food, and you're much better off to eat the whole fruit and I would say, again, depending on what's going on with you and how sensitive you are to the sweet um, um, taste, more fruit or less fruit, depending on what your needs are. And this is one thing about the Ayurvedic approach. You know, everything it depends on your individual needs. This is individualized approach. Everyone is different. It's like your genetic codes are different. So you have to figure out what's going on and then adapt that to what the person's needs are. Great. We're going to take a brief break here, and we'll be right back in a moment. You're listening to Healthy Options, and this is Cynthia Swan with my guest, Margaret Pete. Thank you, Cindy. We are broadcasting Healthy Options live from Rockland this morning due to the weather. And let's, because of that weather, let's give you some cancellations and early dismissals for today. SAD 22, early dismissal starting at 11.30. SAD 76, Swans Island, dismissal at noon. Waterville schools closing two and a half hours early, no adult education. Washington Academy, East Machias, early dismissal, 11.30. SAD 5, Rockland Owls Head, closed. SAD 8, Vinyl Haven, early dismissal at 11.30. SAD 9, Farmington area closed. SAD 13, Bingham Moscow closed. SAD 19, closed. I'm sorry, SAD 19, early dismissal, 11.30. SAD 22, Hamden, Newburgh, Winterport, early dismissal, 11.30. Camden, Rockport, SAD 28, closed. SAD 37, Addison, Cherryfield, Columbia, early dismissal at 12 noon. SAD 37, Columbia Falls, Harrington, Millbridge, early dismissal, noon. SAD 40, Friendship Union, Waldoboro, closed. SAD 40, Warren, Washington, closed. SAD 50, Cushing, St. George, Thomaston, closed. All after school activities for Ellsworth have been canceled. Swans Island, SAD 76, closed at noon. Camden, Rockport, CSD 19 closed, CSD 19 Appleton Hope Lincolnville closed, Union closed, Elm Street School East Machias three hours early, 
Appleton Hope, Lincolnville, Union 69 closed, Union 98, dismissal at 11.30, that's Bar Harbor, MDI, Southwest Harbor, and MDI High School, and those are some closings. And now we go back to Cindy Swan and Healthy Options. Thanks, Joel. And we're talking about Ayurvedic medicine with my guest, Margaret Smith-Pete, who can be reached at 707-954-5217. That's her cell. And email mspete, spelled P-E-E-T, at AOL.com. We're going to continue our conversation on Ayurveda. I, uh, when you talk uh, in, in Ayurveda medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, you talk about the essential energies or doshas, and also about um, what, what, let's let's start with that because I have a question that I'm going to piggyback <laughs> onto that. Okay, fine. Um, uh, Ayurveda talks about three essential life energies. Um, I'll give you three Sanskrit words because there isn't a single English word that uh, can express what these express. These three energies are called vata, pitta, and kapha, and I'll explain each one. Uh, And the life itself is dependent on the presence of all three of these energies. Now, uh, vata is the principle of movement, air. Pitta is the principle of fire, digestion, metabolism, transformation. And kapha is the principle of foundation, structure, and um, we have to have all three. Now, going back to when we were talking about our basic constitution at the seventh level of the pulse, a pulse, a person taking your pulse at the seventh level is going to read the vata energy, the air, the wind, underneath the uh, index finger. And underneath the middle finger, they're going to read the fire energy, the pitta. And underneath the ring finger, they're going to read the kapha energy. Um, now, each one of these energies feels different. And uh, so the practitioner can tell by the feeling of these energies um, what, uh, what the basic constitutional type is. Now, and each person is different. Each person has a different amount of each one of these energies as a part of their basic constitution. And uh, as I said before, life cannot exist without all three so we're never missing one. We have to have all three in various combinations. And all three together are called the doshas, the three doshas, vada, pitta, kapha. These are all Sanskrit words, and I try to keep my usage of Sanskrit to a minimum when I talk with people. Um, but these, uh, these are words that I do use because it's very hard to express this uh, in English without really going into quite a bit of language. So each one of these different doshas uh, have various characteristics about them, various of the qualities. Remember, we talked about qualities and uh, before. So let's take vada, the air, the wind, and the, the vada qualities are dry, light, 
cold, rough, clear. And if you have uh, an imbalance in vata, you're going to have extremes in some of those uh, qualities. Now, the pitta qualities, where you have fire, metabolism, are hot, sharp, light, oily, liquid, spreading, and a fleshy smell. And again, if you're out of balance in pitta, some of those qualities will be increased and it could cause inflammation and too much heat in the body and so forth. Um, Kapha qualities are heavy, slow or dull, cool, smooth, dense, oily, soft or static. And again here, if you've got an imbalance in kapha, you will have some of these uh, augmented, and this will be a part of your imbalance. The whole process of maintaining health is to maintain the uh, proper distribution and the proper level of each of these three energies in the body, and this is how we maintain health. So, um, this, it, it, actually, we are energy beings, and... You know, using these concepts of, of uh, the approach to energy as outlined by Ayurveda helps us to understand that we are energy beings. Thanks. Now, that's looking at, um, and, and that one you discern from the pulse. Now, let's, let's move to what individuals who, who um, can, can discern on their own Based on some of your work with face reading and what oh, you what okay. you talk about in, sure. in your book, because sure. that that's kind of something for a layman to that's look right. at, that's and it's right. like a self help of here here's a little bit of a diagnostic tool for you to use. So, for example, you were you were we were talking earlier about um, about one's uh, prakriti and of course these other energies. So, and we and we talked about stress. So, what can one look for? Give our listeners, what do they look for if there are adrenals, you know, if there's a lot of stress? Where does that show up on the face from this Ayurvedic perspective, this map of the body? We talked about stress and how we live in a high-stress culture here. And more people than not go into adrenal dysfunction. And you can look at yourself in the mirror. Look underneath your eyes. If you have darkness and puffiness under the eyes, your adrenals, your kidney adrenal area there shows you that stress is impacting you. And this is something that needs to be taken very seriously. What is it that's causing the stress in your life? What is it in that part of the iceberg underneath the water that's really causing dysfunction with you? And this is something that is readily, people can readily look in the mirror and see. This is so obvious. Now, a lot of people would say, well, everybody's got dark circles under their eyes. Isn't that like normal? Or, or I've heard people say, well, as we age, we all get dark circles under our eyes. But, can, but you can even see them in children? You sure can. And this is pretty bad for our culture. Now, let's go back to what is the stress response. Well... You know, the fight-or-flight um, response was created for the caveman. 
Right. When he was running from the saber-toothed tiger. And it, it would save his life, you know. He had to run to get away from danger. The problem is with us that we live in a constant fight-or-flight situation. And we um, never actually let go. I like to talk about how um, we have forgotten how to shake ourselves. Uh, <laughs> physically shake ourselves, you're saying. Physically shake ourselves. Like, like a cat does or a dog Absolutely. when it's wet. You watch the animals. They know how to take care of themselves. Uh, uh, some years ago, a book came out, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Mm-hmm. And um, what was the name of it? Uh, Kapolsky, isn't that? Uh, it's Robert Sapolsky, Kapol- uh, who was uh, or is a professor at Stanford University, um, spent some time in Africa uh, observing grazing animals. And in watching these animals graze, they were peaceful, nothing was wrong. Uh, And then they got the alert that uh, there was a lion about to attack. And so fight or flight came up, and they ran to safety. But then when the lion went away, they would shake themselves and go back to grazing. So their fight or flight saved their lives, like uh, the caveman and the saber-toothed tiger. But I like to say today we have forgotten how to shake ourselves, how to get rid of this this uh, stress in our lives, and uh, this is taking its toll on our adrenal dysfunction. So adrenal, the map is underneath the eyes. What about something like digestion? Where where on the face could one look for uh, a key that oh maybe there's some digestive disturbances? Well, first of all, I would look at the colon lines that come down from the nose down to the edge of the lip. If those are really deep, then something is probably dysfunctional in the colon. And then I would start asking questions. Um, You know, uh, what's going on with the GI tract? And uh, you can also ask you, how, how do you feel when you eat? Are you comfortable? Or do you start having pain? Uh, what kind of uh, a digestive distress comes up in the course of a day? And that can tell you a lot, too. And that could have many reasons. But, uh, you know, these are uh, addressable. And um, we might talk about the tongue some, too. Oh, that's right, because in your book, too, you refer to the tongue yeah. as a major diagnostic. It is. The uh, most tool. important diagnostic tool, and it used to be years ago, way back in the early 20th century, every time you went to a doctor, he'd say, stick out your tongue. That's right. Yeah. They don't do that they anymore. They don't do that anymore. But it's amazing what the tongue can tell you. You know, if you look at, stick your tongue out and look in the mirror, if you've got scallop along the side of the tongue, that tells you that your absorption and assimilation in your small intestine is not operating uh, optimally. If your tongue is coated with a white coating or a gray coating, that tells you you are holding a lot of toxins in your system. And you need to do something to clean out that digestive tract. If the tongue is red, 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 is a sign of inflammation somewhere in the body. If you have a line, the center line on your tongue is related to the spine. 
And if you have some deep lines there, uh, ask yourself, do I have tightness in that area? Do I have pain in that area? Toward the tip of the tongue, if you have two little parallel lines, do you have tightness in your neck? So there's so much that can be learned just from observing the tongue. Uh, also, if, you, if your tongue has a very flat tip, this would indicate some thyroid dysfunction. So much can be learned. So Ayurveda looks at the body as a map. So this Absolutely. is, again, a tool that uh, individuals can just look at and say, That's hmm, right. maybe there's something brewing here, That's even though... Right. Um, it, it, and. and is this, this, is this based on the 5,000 years of, of, of the, 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 the study or the making oh, of yes. this? I mean, um, actually, Ayurveda began probably much earlier than 5,000 years ago as an oral tradition passed down from teacher to student. And finally, um, um, the concepts of Ayurveda were written down in Sanskrit uh, like around 2000 B.C., and we do have these Sanskrit texts at this point that outlines all this. An incredible system of medicine. Speaking of that, you studied with who is considered to be the premier Ayurvedic master in this country, which yes. was uh, Dr. Vasant Ladd at the Ayurvedic Institute in Albuquerque, New Mexico. What was it like studying with him? I mean, I, I know he cites you in... One of his books, too. Well, he cites me uh, in several of his books because when I was, I was there for five years as a full-time student, and then a sixth year, I was actually writing another book for him. I was on staff out there um, writing and editing for him, and uh, he cites me because of that. Okay. Um, it was... It, it gave me the opportunity to learn about a totally new culture and a totally new way of understanding that I felt was a real privilege to me. It opened, it opened up so much. Uh, <clears throat> Ayurveda is uh, uh, profound in uh, more ways than we can imagine. Uh, with its long history and its wisdom and so forth. Um, I um, searched for a long time as to what I really wanted to identify myself with. I did uh, quite a bit of work with uh, Chinese medicine. I have a, a certificate in Chinese herbal medicine. Uh have great respect for the Chinese medical approach. However, I do realize that uh, the modern um, practice of Chinese medicine has been um, affected by the communist approach in China. And at this point, it has become much more of a physical medicine than the holistic medicine of thousands of years ago. When I discovered Ayurveda and really um, learned about the complete approach of Ayurveda to the whole person, I said to myself, this is where I need to go. So I did uh, go to Albuquerque and commit myself to the years of, of work there with Dr. Ladd. Um, and um, it was a profound experience. It opened up so much. What are some resources for listeners, um, Margaret, uh, listening to this who want to learn more 
um, we've we've want to give them some books or some sites sure. also to look into. Um, Dr. Ladd has written a number of books, and I will tell you about those in just a minute. Uh, I also want to mention Dr. Deepak Chopra, oh. who really, I'm sure all of you have heard of Dr. Chopra. He has done an incredible job of introducing uh, knowledge of Ayurveda to the West. Uh, Dr. Ladd is much more of a clinician, an Ayurvedic clinician, than Dr. Chopra. However, Dr. Chopra's books are certainly worth reading. But some of Dr. Ladd's books, the first one I would recommend is a book he wrote quite a number of years ago called Ayurveda, the Science of Self-Healing. And this is a good introduction and uh, still speaks uh, as as a marvelous uh, introductory piece. Uh, He also has a book called Secrets of the Pulse, which uh, explains the the, the, uh, complications of the pulse and the profound insights that can be gained from it. Another book is the Complete Book of Ayurvedic Home Remedies, which is a practical book and would be interesting for all of you. Uh, Ayurvedic cooking is also, the the concept of of food is also very important in Ayurveda. And Dr. Ladd and his wife, Usha, uh, have written a book called Ayurvedic Cooking for Self-Healing. All of these books can give you much more information. I also want to refer to some books by Dr. Robert Svoboda, who was also one of my teachers in Albuquerque. He has a book called Ayurveda, Life, Health, and Longevity, and another book called Prakruti, Your Ayurvedic Constitution. I would say if any of those books would help to uh, elaborate uh, on some of the things I've said today. In addition to that, uh, the Ayurvedic Institute at this point has two volumes of the textbook of Ayurvedic medicine out. Volume 1 is a general introduction, and this is a big tome. I actually worked on this for several years with Dr. Ladd. Volume 2 has come out since I left the Institute, and if you really want to get into it, that, that is where to go, textbook of, of uh, Ayurvedic medicine. So if people don't want to travel to New Mexico but they want to learn more, they can. you think that from these books they can utilize I, these? I as... think a lot can be learned from these books. I would also say that I understand that Dr. Ladd does come to Kripalu and teaches some courses there, and, uh, you know, that might be looked at as a possibility if you want to actually meet him and study some with him. Thank you for that. And I want to give Margaret's information again. My guest, Margaret Smith-Pete, Ayurvedic um, practitioner uh, and also a naturopathic doctor, and can be reached at 707-954-5217 and email, all lowercase, mspete, P-E-E-T, at aol.com. In the short time remaining... Margaret, is there any special advice you'd like to give to listeners about incorporating um, some one basic Ayurvedic principle? Or I mean, we've talked about so many things. Is there any one thing that comes out to you? I mean, I know you're very strong on the 
nutritional piece, and we certainly didn't get into that and the functional medicine piece. That will have to be saved for another show. <laughs> but, but is there anything um, that really comes out to you that you feel people should know about this in terms of Ayurveda? I think that if a person is convinced that they really want to take charge of their health, and I think this is the first step. It's what we call <clears throat> readiness for change. And if you are ready to change, then you have to really look at what's going on with your health and have to be willing to make whatever changes. First of all, get out the refined white sugar mm-hmm. and, um, and begin to eat more fresh fruits and vegetables, whole fruits and um, good, good uh, vegetables, and also protein that is proper for you. I do believe that we were created to be omnivores. And um, I think most people, if they try to be vegetarians or vegans, get into health problems. So depending on your constitutional type, some people can get away with it and some can't, but you have to be very careful. I would say the approach of Ayurveda to food is it's not, uh, although Dr. Ladd himself is a vegetarian and he's a Hindu and watches his diet very carefully, Ayurveda itself takes the constitutional type very seriously and it is not a vegetarian approach necessarily. But I think nutrition, but first of all, the willingness to change and getting exercise back into your lifestyle taking charge of stress. These are first steps that all of us can do. Thank you for that. And um, just in closing also, uh, to, uh, I, I want to uh, go back to your book. Um, my doctor says I'm fine, so why do I feel so bad? What, what was the strongest impetus to get you to write that? What, what was it that you were like, I've got to put this out there? In the world. Well, my co-author and I, after going through the training with Dr. Ladd, felt that um, we would like to share some of our of the things that we had learned with uh, the West in a simple, readable style that would help people understand what Ayurvedic medicine is. So we spent a couple of years after finishing at uh, the Ayurvedic Institute. Putting this book together, it's readable, it's simple, it has the basic concepts, it goes into how to read the body and some of the things that we talked about on the face and uh, the tongue and so forth, and how to begin to incorporate uh, also an Ayurvedic lifestyle uh, into your life. So it was an attempt to share with the West some of the important things that we had learned being with Dr. Ladd. And um, lastly, um, what, what is it about Ayurveda in your own life, your own experience with Ayurveda, that you feel most passionate about? Well, Ayurveda has changed my life, totally. It has uh, given me a much broader understanding of what health is, uh, of, uh, of, of, of actually a total understanding of everything. Uh, this is not just about health. This is about being. And the whole concept of growing and becoming in a 
uh, and maintaining health in this way. One thing I would say, Ayurveda um, is the, the concepts of Ayurveda are to maintain a healthy body. And so many of the Eastern disciplines stress the spiritual side so much more uh, and sort of don't pay that much attention to the physical. Ayurveda feels we were put here in a physical body to maintain the health of the physical body so that we could live a full uh, um, being, be a full being of body, mind, spirit. Um, so uh, all of this knowledge has definitely uh, influenced me in ways uh, that I probably can't even begin to express. It has changed my life. Thank you. And on that note, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you, listeners. This is Cindy Swan with my guest, Margaret Pete on Ayurvedic Medicine. Thanks to Joel Mann for engineering this. And I hope you'll join us for further shows. Healthy Options airs the first Wednesday of the month at 10 a.m. Thank you, and remember to always exercise your healthy options. Support for W. This is Community Radio, WERUFM, 89.9 Blue Hill and 102.9 Bangor. It is time now for our required weekly test of the emergency alert system. This is just a test.